Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Win the battle of your musty, damp basement with an easy breathe ventilation system. Take charge of your indoor air. It's easy with basement ventilation to remove musty odors, pollutants, allergens, and airborne particles by 85%. An easy breathe ventilation system creates air exchanges for cleaner, fresher, healthy indoor air. And right now, get $250 off your own easy breathe ventilation system. Call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com today. High Five Casino. High Five Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at HighFiveCasino.com. The hottest games right from Vegas and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details at HighTheNumberFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino. Hello, the internet, and welcome to season 311, episode two of Dirt Daily Zeitgeist! Yeah! Hey, production of iHeartRadio, uh, timely 311 reference. Oh, I don't, yeah. What was their song? Uh, down. 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 I mean, there's also one. Amber, too. Season 311 going down, down. Oh, there it is. It is a podcast where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness. And of course, America's shared consciousness is shot through with 311 references. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> it's Tuesday, October 31st, 2023. Mm. What's that? Can't think of something. Is there, what, what is it, like National uh, Corn Dog Day or some shit? It's uh, uh, National uh, Girl Scout. It's Girl Scout Founders Day. The audacity. Yeah. Also, National Doorbell Day. Also, uh, okay. also. I mean, that makes sense. National Knock Knock Joke Day. National Magic Day. And car- Caramel Caramel Apple Day. However you mm. choose to. No, say. thank you, Car- National Caramel Apple Day. We do not. It, it's just, it doesn't work for trick or treating. It's a great treat that should not be, should not have its national day on. October 31st. And in fact, I, I think part of its problem is that it, it keeps trying to be yeah. a Halloween trick-or-treating treat when those days have passed. And yeah, you can't lug yeah. that thing around. You can't lug that thing Except around without just, you know, getting dry leaves stuck to it, you know? It's a mess. <laughs> oh, you mean like it's not even in a, in a in like, encased. In you're just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just you're a just, loose, sticky, just a loose out, caramel like, orb apple. on a stick. Yeah, yeah, you don't want that. The audacity of the founders of the Girl Scouts to be like, we got that. And when people think October 31st, <laughs> they will think of us, the founders of the Girl Scouts. But anyways, happy Halloween. Yeah. Everyone. Oh, it's, it's, you know why, Jack? It's the birthday of the founder. It's not like they picked okay. it. Pick okay. Pick a different the universe birthday. picked it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pick a different birthday. There's Find a new day. angle. It's Halloween. <laughs> it's Halloween, baby. Very, very excited. We'll talk more about it on trends a little later, but excited. Excited to be here. Yeah. My name is Jack O'Brien, a.k.a. It seems like I should have like a Monster Mash themed a.k.a. Right, but uh, cannot get up off of the pee in my pants roller coaster themed day. Oh, still. So here we <laughs> go. And I don't want my wife to see me because I don't think that she'd understand. Sometimes when I ride on a coaster, I get off and there's pee in my pants. <laughs> that is courtesy of the brew. Thank you, the brew. Ooh. Zeit gang, keep them coming. Yeah. And I'm thrilled to be joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Miles Gray. Miles Gray, a.k.a. Bones and Doll scares me. Bones and Doll help me. Bones and Doll might be. I fear this is the end. It is. <laughs> uh, shout out to I Alone by Live. I remember I Alone oh, yeah. was a huge fan of that song. Uh, shout out to uh, First Blood 522 on the Discord. That. I alone can fix it. Yeah. 
Yeah. And yeah, again, Bones and Doll, because I didn't know the thing, the movie Bones and Doll. Again, you already heard. I thought it was a movie called Bones in Doll. Bones and, and Doll. I that was much scarier. It was the Chucky movie, if Chucky had bones in him, mm-hmm. would have been a lot scarier, harder to wrestle with. I, that, that was always my question. If this man is two pounds and full of stuffing, how come they can't just boot him <laughs> clear across <laughs> right, the right, city? Right, 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 right. Maybe he's as dense as, you know, like, you know, like a one ton of carbon or something. Maybe there is bones in that doll. Yeah. Uh, I actually don't know. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure we find that out. Anyways, uh, Miles, we are thrilled to be joined in our third seat by a senior reporter covering racial equity at the Center for Public Integrity. She's been a Fulbright fellow, a fellow with the International Women's Media Foundation, uh, an Innovations in Food and Agriculture fellow with mm. the National Press Foundation. And she's the host of the third season of The Heist, which is incredible focuses on the long documented history of government discrimination against black farmers. Please welcome to the show, April Simpson! April! (laughs) Welcome, April. Welcome. Thanks. I'm really glad to be here. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Do you celebrate? I don't, but I have a daughter now and she will be. Oh, okay. (laughs) Congratulations. How old? Thanks. Uh, Six months. Okay, so I have a nine-month-old. And we're doing the same thing. And part the whole time, I was really conflicted about costumes because I'm like, this child is not selecting <laughs> this costume. And we're now reducing it to a live action doll. Uh, yeah. But but I mean, if seeing him in a Woody costume didn't bring a tear to my eye. You know, I don't wow. Know what will. Yeah, that was the one that was very flammable, by the way, that I was. Uh, Woody. Okay. Dude, this Woody costume, it was, that was the one that was like reeking of like petroleum. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's like the most synthetic fabrics that have ever been made. So, yeah. So how is your daughter liking the first Halloween? <laughs> <laughs> well, first, congrats to you too. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I think he's going to love it. He's, yeah. he's going to be a butterfly. Oh, wow. I thought okay. it could be fun. Yeah. But I think, you know, babies bring so much joy to other people. So that's yeah. kind of the fun of it too. Yeah, that is true because there's no one sees a cute baby dressed up and goes like, "That's so trite." <laughs> like, you know, like, <laughs> nice contri- try. Yeah, what a contrived outfit this is. It's yeah. just it's always like, "Oh, like I remember I went somewhere else and someone was like, "There's a baby here dressed like Toy Story." And I was like, <laughs> nah, "I guess yeah, we'll take that." Oh, that's so cute. Amazing. Those sound amazing. Congratulations to you both and congratulations to every living human with a beating heart that runs into you on Halloween and gets to see your gorgeous (laughs) children in their amazing Halloween costumes. Absolutely. All right. We're going to talk to you, April, about the heist season three. But before we get to it, we do like to get to know our guests a little bit better. And so we are going to ask you, what is something from your search history that is revealing about who you are, where you are, what you're up to? Sorry, I'm still on the like the baby baby stuff of course you are (laughs) we all are (laughs) my daughter doesn't sleep very long it's only like every two to three hours and then she needs to be fed and we've been doing this for six months so i'm i'm really run down at this point and like looking for answers so i searched something about like how to get a baby to sleep you know Mm. longer than two to three hours stretches yeah oh yeah that's did you find, have you found anything? There's like, I feel like it's one of those things where you feel the answer is out there, but so many things are so specific to a child that right. it's like, and people are like, I swear by this method. And it's like, yeah, yeah. for your kid. Like, yeah. Right. This yeah. Isn't just put them me. in a rabbit cage and put formula in one of those drip bottles. Right. I'm like, mm, is that I don't, humane? I don't think that's. Uh, it's okay. We give though. them a lot of room to run around in there. And right. Even give them crawling tubes. What anything anything good? Have you found anything helpful or, or um, no? I mean, short answer no. But the only thing that seems to help is like really loading her up with food at night. Yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, to the point that it seems a little like this is a bit much. But <laughs> 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 the more we give her, then we get like maybe a four-hour stretch, which I did last night. But okay. wow, it's it's like it's a little uncomfortable. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you oh mean just God. feeling. Do you ever do like the dream feed? You know, yeah, I yeah, definitely yeah. do those. That, yeah, yeah. and just see how Roll wrong over. we can pro like prolong the bit of sleep. Yeah, uh, I, I wish baby, for, you got a hungry baby. Yeah, mm-hmm. I wish for sleep full nights. 
for yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah, because I know that it's it's so disorienting too. Like especially early on, and I remember having like becoming existential. I'm like, have I made a terrible error? <laughs> in bringing life into this world and being completely unable to like like contend with the schedule but it it it, it i'm sure it will even out it always does. Yeah. it always does. it does yeah. and then this. another one right do you want another one no no, no. <laughs> i can't we, we we came into this pretty clear i'm an only child my wife has like half siblings but you know, as like her mother's only child, so kind of has like that only child vibe too. And we're like, I think I think we're okay as long as like we're you have here. friends in the neighborhood, like we did. Like then right. you'll, you'll you won't be you won't be like a lonely only child. Yeah, that and just the cost of it all is just like yeah. I think this feels very manageable, and I like <laughs> this, and I would like to not compound that any further. Mm. And then there's the thing that happens to your brain where you forget about a that. year and a half on you forget how hard this part was and you either have another child or uh you go back and listen to this and remind yourself every <laughs> every, right. every 15 minutes right but yeah we were surprised that we have a five and a seven-year-old and the when the five-year-old came around it was less than two years later and we were like oh man this is so hard i totally <laughs> forgot how hard this is but that's kind of like the psychology of it, right? Like, yes. you know, like I felt like every time we were talking to people of given birth and like, what was it like? You know, and it was like years on, like, honestly, I don't remember. Yeah. Truly. Like, because for me, I'm like, is it like, you know, how difficult is it? Like, I, I mean, it, we're here, you know, <laughs> yeah, we're right. here. But yeah. the brain lets you know, it's like, let's put that to the side so we can continue, you know, in, inhabiting the earth, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. What is something that you think is overrated, April? Candy corn. Thank oh. you. No okay. good. No good. Okay. Woo! So we're we're you. on a roller. We're on a candy corn roller coaster, and I promise not to pee my pants. <laughs> but we we have had people saying overrated. We've had people saying underrated. Yeah, but more the over first time. Yeah, most people do not like candy corn. I do. I think it's little pebbles of icing. And I like icing. I, I like a cupcake that has the most icing on it. So you you feel like you're eating a three week old cake? Yes, exactly. Sitting out in the sun, you're like, ooh, this is my favorite part. The mm, crusted yum, frosting. Yeah. What's your like? Break it down for me, April. Flavor wise, what is it that you? What? Why are we putting it in this category? I mean, it doesn't to me. It doesn't taste mm -hmm. very good. It just looks like something that doesn't expire. You know, like it can just hang out for <laughs> too long. And and that's dangerous, right? Right. You said yeah, there's something unnatural about candy corn? <laughs> <laughs> that it's not a that it shouldn't be can I should not be corn. counting it as a vegetable. It's called corn, April. That's yeah. the operative word. Come on. Here. That's a problem too. Yeah, it's it's deceiving. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I tried. I tried again. I was I was just telling a story earlier. A friend of mine was dressed as candy corn and got harassed by teenagers. Yeah. Like they'd be like, yo, candy corn sucks. Yeah. And it was just like, a, for me, a little too aggressive. I'm not a fan of candy corn, but I like I get it. It's just it's something that's out there. People just yeah. feel I think it again for me, it just felt like the like the least exciting candy you could give me on Halloween. And so right. when I got it, I took that as a I took that as an act of violence, basically. Yeah. And I took that personally. Yeah. <laughs> do you got what top three candies? Do you do you remember your top three candies from? Oh yeah. Trick or treating. Break it down. Break it down. I mean, I always love M and M's. Those are okay. Standard. Straight. Yeah. Straightforward M and M's. Just the peanut? brown. Or are we talking I, peanut? No, I like the straightforward ones. And then wow. don't they have ones with like extra chocolate in them now? Extra they have ones chocolate. with extra chocolate in them. Yeah, I think so. Whoa. <laughs> Huh. Really? <laughs> I just, I don't know why that hit me like some kind of like revelation I've never heard of. Oh, what do we got here? There's chocolate in the chocolate. Oh. <laughs> Man, okay, now I'm on the hunt. You know what would be? Like, yeah, oh, yeah, no, double chocolate M&Ms? What? What's that? I could see where, I could see an M&M where instead of peanuts, they have oh, the regular M&Ms in the middle. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? 
Sorry, I just got so excited about oh, that. Oh, you're just saying house. an M&M within an, an M&M? An M&M is inside the <laughs> peanut M&M. So it's classic M&M's. Like a nesting doll? In the, yes. Yes. Why yes. is this making me so happy? <laughs> I think because it's so it's so overboard that you're yeah. like, yes, yes, go on. Double Mars company. Double candy shell, double chocolate. Come on. Yeah. Come Apparently on. it's mixed. It's dark and milk chocolate from what I'm mm. reading. So yeah, okay. why not? Okay. So <laughs> M&M's, that's one. Number M&Ms. two, I like Milky Way. I think Milky wow. Way is pretty delicious. Yeah, Milky Way is not bad. Oh okay. yeah, yeah. Not mad at that. Number three, and I like Reese's Pieces or, yeah. or, or the cups, not the, pieces, the cups. The cups. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. funny how we all say we have to say pieces. Yes, even though it's I pieces. do this too. <laughs> he, it sounds like he's giving you a backhanded like. Hmm, no, no. It's but funny we, how some of us, but I we have too. all said Reese's Pieces. And... We all say Reese's Pieces because it just yeah. feels like. Why mess it up when we could have a good thing with, with a rhyming name like that? Yeah, and we all found out about it when we were like four. So I think it, it is the four-year-old way to say that candy, right? Yeah. Peanut What's butter your cups, sign? I'm a Pisces. Sure. <laughs> I think we've covered our, our rankings before, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say peanut butter cups. I'm gonna say Milky Way, and I'm gonna say. Blow pops. I'm gonna throw in blow pops wow. to kind of fuck blow, fuck the world up. Blow pops are definitely the superior non chocolate candy. Wow, every, really? Any, anything. Cho- my thing is chocolate above everything else. Yeah, yeah. Chocolate, and then over. it's then it's a scrap over the things with chocolate in it. And I don't want to yeah. waste everybody's time with that. But then when we talk about fruit flavored candies, like I'm not eating like mambos or you know sour like the, the, <laughs> the blow pop. And I think the it's disdain. because of those, with which yeah. you said Mambo. Ah, I just don't like them. Don't like them. Yeah. But the but the the blow pop commercials from the early nineties, I think that's why. Because yeah. everybody was like, yo, look at like it was that felt zany. So yeah. Just crunch into that shit. Soft center. And then you have where are you, April, where are you at with Tootsie Pops and Tootsie Rolls? Oh, I like Tootsie Rolls. I'm not they f- such a fan of the pops, but I like the right. Tootsie Rolls. Do they yeah. do do you consider that a chocolate or you consider that like a usurper that is passable? You know, I think I consider it a chocolate. Wow. wow. <laughs> I think that's the difference between people who like Tootsie Rolls and don't, is if you view it as chocolate or if you view it as gross chocolate-flavored taffy, as I do. <laughs> and I apologize, and I don't mean to be mean, but that's just my truth, <laughs> and I'm going to speak it. Thank you. Thank you. You've been working hard on that. April, what's something you think is underrated? <laughs> uh, rain. Rain is underrated. Mm. Now, what is it about rain? (laughs) It's, you know, when there's like a rain shower, it feels like everything is fresh and new afterwards when the sun comes out. And if you're inside and you hear the rainfall, it's very relaxing and peaceful. Yeah, it's like it's healing. Oh, okay, good. So many people are like from L.A. that come on the show that everyone's like, it's underrated. It's like, because we need it. Right. Really, really need it. But that part also <laughs> is the best part is like what just the pitter patter of rain does to you, like, like into your mind. You're like, oh, no, I'm I need to just lay around or just stay inside or something like that and relax. So It's like the earth is Powerful. shushing you. It's like right. such a great sound. It's just. <laughs> yeah, I, I love because I also was like a, you know, see, I, I played sports growing up but i wish i i wished i didn't i wished i was just able to like stay inside all the time and like watch movies nonstop. and so <laughs> there's also like something deep within my brain that when i hear rain i'm like ah, i don't have to go outside and pretend to be anything. a jock a jock i can just yeah. watch movies oh <laughs> yes. uh, that's wild oh man are you so now are you one of those parents you're like hey don't play sports because you think i want you to yeah 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 yeah, yeah. that's what my yeah. dad always said to me because it was like athleticism was kind of currency in my dad's family. And my yeah. uncle was like a really good football player. My dad's an artist. So he was right. the last thing he wanted to do is like put pads on to smash people up. And I remember he would always just like, he would always, when I was playing hockey or other, she's like, you're not playing this. Cause you think I want you to, right? Because like, I don't. Oh, dude. <laughs> yeah. He's like, cause I don't like waking up at 5. AM to drive yeah. to weird parts of the city. And I'm like, hockey is I'm- intense, man. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, I love rain. I love, and we don't get it. We don't get enough of it out here in LA. Yeah, we need yep. it. We, we heard, need it. heard about that. Hey, we heard about that. Amazing. All right. Well, let's take a quick break, and yep. we'll come back and start getting into the heist season three. 
We'll be right back. Win the battle of your musty, damp basement with an Easy Breathe ventilation system. Take charge of your indoor air. It's easy with basement ventilation to remove musty odors, pollutants, allergens, and airborne particles by 85%. An Easy Breathe ventilation system creates air exchanges for cleaner, fresher, healthy indoor air. And right now, get $250 off your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. Call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com today. Zeit gang, customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source. Connect with customers in line and online. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone. Transform your tablet into a point of sale system. Or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is here to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. I was looking at their website just trying to see, look, how do I find the things that I need as somebody who would potentially have a retail business? And surprisingly, very easy to navigate. They have all the things that you need answers to right there on the website. So definitely check it out. So sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TDZ, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TDZ to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash TDZ. The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. Welcome to would you like a hot apple pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won! Woohoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie? I just went big time playing High Five Casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Woo! <laughs> I won again! I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your High Five moment today? Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. And we're back. We're back. And I guess to kick us off, I'd, I'd just be curious to hear a little bit more about your background, April. What, what kind of stories did you cover prior to this? How do you get to this story? Because I personally hear agriculture and my brain doesn't turn off, but it assumes that's somebody else's story to pay attention to. But then this one was so good. And it seems like, based on some of your credentials, that agriculture is kind of a sweet spot for you. Yeah, I, um, I'd say I almost fell into it because at my job prior to coming to Center for Public Integrity, I covered rural issues and um, really had the opportunity to shape that beat as I saw fit. Mm. And, you know, at that time, Trump was president there were like subsidies basically that were given to farmers when there was a trade war with China right. to help keep them on their feet. And there was, you know, investigative reporting that showed most of that money, nearly all of that money went to white farmers. And some of that just has to do with the way, like the structure of the system. So I got just into rural issues reporting into agriculture as like a beat within my beat while I was at my previous job. And, um, and during that time also, learned more about the history of discrimination at USDA. I learned against Black farmers and other farmers of color as well. And, you know, learned more about Pickford versus Glickman, was, which was this big class action lawsuit um, Black farmers were successful in in the, I guess, the first installment in the late 90s, 1999. And doing that work, you know, led me to CPI and... <laughs> trying to like not sound super wonky about it but um no, get wonky get wonky <laughs> get, no, wonky. get wonky here. go yeah. wonk <laughs> and hearing a farmer who actually recently passed away his name's eddie slaughter he, oh, spoke... he passed away oh, oh yeah <laughs> yeah he passed away like uh end of september it just wow. happened yeah oh, i'm sorry to hear that yeah that i mean like this story is so it it it, it like it touches intersects with so many issues that the United States has been the cause of and never the solution to. And it's the the whole journey that you sort of take listeners on is really fantastic because like Jack said, like when I hear ag like when I hear people talking about big agriculture, I hear about big agriculture and factory farming and 
farm subsidies, but I'm like, yeah, I don't know. It's just like that one industry, like the government is the one being like, the money hose will never turn off for some of you. Right. And then really beginning to zoom out to really understand the entirety of it. Because in my mind, I'm like, it's probably like you just assume it's like it's probably like five companies doing everything when you lose sight of sort of what these origin stories are. And you, you, you go back to, you know, the early 20th century in Oklahoma and how a lot of these farming, these black farming communities were thriving, you know, and we've talked about like Black Wall Street on this show and just sort of the, the whole history there. But can you kind of just like sort of paint this picture because I think more than even talking about like when we're going to talk about what's happening now, but I think it's really important for people to understand how uh, prosperous black farming was in the United States to really get an understanding of like the tragedy that has been occurring ever since then. Just to refresh people, black wall street was Tulsa, Oklahoma, like this boom time, like all black or, you know, prominently black community where business was just, thriving families were getting rich and because they were being left to like operate a community on their own without a lot of white supremacy coming in and you know using the tools of systemic oppression to crush them and then people obviously this is a simplified way of saying it but like the what white supremacy came in and burnt the town to the ground and like raised like literally raised the the community in in Oklahoma. But yeah, totally a story that I didn't know was that not far away, also in Oklahoma around the same time, there was a similarly thriving rural community that you talked about, April. Yeah, we talk about Boley, Oklahoma, which is where the main character of the podcast is from, Nate Bradford. And it was in some ways like a country version of that Tulsa It was a thriving Black community that was full of folks who came from the Deep South, escaping Jim Crow around the turn of the century and trying to, you know, get get a piece of land and and be free. And a lot of those folks ended up settling in Boley because there was a railroad that was being developed and going from Oklahoma to Arkansas. So it was just, you know, a, a good place to be. And that brought a lot of folks through there. So they settled, you know, in and around Boley. They were able to buy land, be a part of this community that was for black, bo- for black folks, by black folks. So, you know, answering to local government leadership and everything that was done was in the interest of the people who were there, who were majority black. And a lot of those folks, cotton was huge. So a lot of them were cotton farmers. Some of them were also in cattle farming, and Boley ended up. And they really, you know, paid for Boley, right? Their their money was what was making the, the town prosperous. Um, and Boley ended up being hugely successful. It had colleges, it had grocery stores, it had banks, it had what is believed to be the first Black nationally chartered bank in the country, which is huge. And yeah, I mean, that, that ended up changing for a number of reasons, but um, Boley was one of uh, 50 black towns at the time yeah and it's just so so devastating to the central narrative of white supremacy what like the the existence of this thriving town that like if white supremacists allow this town to exist is it is able to thrive and have this amazing community and also like kind of devastating to some of the central tenants of Capital, like individualism and capitalism, where there's this, you know, we, we've talked about community action and how, you know, black communities and, you know, indigenous communities are some of the best models that we have of like how, you know, communities that take care of themselves and start their own, you know, circular communities. And yeah, so it, runs against the central core narrative of the American mainstream in a lot of ways that are probably scary to powerful people. Right. It's, it's also like, like hearing about that era too, where, you know, these, these communities were thriving and hear like that the change came once, you know, like once statehood occurred 
And now right. Oklahoma was going to be like basically get like the other states that were like enacting this gym, these Jim Crow laws. And now you had these communities that were, for the most part, able to do whatever they had to, mostly free from any kind of like racial interference that suddenly now they're seeing segregation and they're seeing all these laws that are like are completely changing the way they live. What was like from that moment on? Because I think this is this is what becomes really interesting, too, is this is sort of like the that was sort of like the height of things. And now we begin to see the deterioration of these communities and the dispossession of land. What was like can after these Jim Crow laws were enacted, what sort of like the kind of next sort of beats that happen that are kind of that begin sort of this momentum even further? Yeah, so Oklahoma became a state in 1907. It starts passing these Jim Crow laws. And but Bowley did thrive for a little bit longer. But then there were a lot of economic things that happened, right? There was the Great Depression, there was the bull weevil um, that chewed up the cotton, there was the Agricultural Adjustment Act of in the 30s that limited the amount of cotton a farmer could produce. Those that were sharecroppers, and, and folks, farmers got money to help them through that, but folks that were sharecroppers may not have seen any of that money. And Black folks were kind of limited in what they could grow. So all those things led to the decline of Boley. Um, a lot of the folks there and like the local historians say that even though there was this Jim Crow violence happening outside of Boley, not even that far outside of Boley, because there were sundown towns very close, right. uh, Boley felt you know kind of protected. But it's still that fear, that violence that's happening just outside. All these things came together and encouraged folks to move on to other places. Wow. And then, like, I guess, you know, part of like the whole, you know, the focus of this season is talking about just the decline and discrimination of in black farming and black farmers have had to face. Can you like there's some pretty staggering statistics I think people should kind of like hear first, like as we dive into this is what like what was the state of black farmers like in its prime as opposed to right now, just so we can give ourselves an idea of like how aggressive this process has been? So around the turn of the century, when we know, you know, obviously coming out of slavery, there were a great number of Black farmers. And we know, for example, there's a study that found Black farmers lost $326 billion in land and wealth from 1920 to 1997, which is wow. a huge, huge number. And we know that the number of Black farmers has dropped 67% since 1900. So that's that's a pretty big one now as well. Black farmers now are only about 1.4% of all farmers, so just a tiny number. And that that was not the case and it like leading up to the 1920s was not like 1.4%. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> it was uh, black folks had you know, we're, we're much greater in number and we're also, you know, significant landowners as well. Yeah. And the way the government accomplished this is kind of a, a thing we've, you know, the systemic economic forces, economic racism, and it blends in more easily when they can just say, oh, well, you know, there was a bad run of bull weevils or something like that and not right. focusing on well in white communities when there's a you know bad string of crops because of bull weevils the government comes in and turns on the money hose right but in this case there's just a different standard of of when to intervene and how easy it is to get government assistance and then like what happens once you get that government assistance yeah. I mean, obviously there's there's racial violence that had a part in this, but also subsidies, for example, are more helpful to farmers that are larger landowners or farmers who are growing certain crops. And black farmers, you know, are, are tend to be smaller guys, so they're not going to get as much money from from those subsidy programs. The USDA, for example, is a lender of last resort. And that means you had to get rejected from other other agencies, other banks in order to get a loan from them. And there's this long documented history showing that Black farmers have had a tougher time getting those loans. And when they get those loans, they're not as much as they would have wanted them to be, or maybe they're delayed so that 
they don't come when the, the farmer might need it for planting. They come much later. And then that kind of has a, a chain reaction to it. Right. And yeah, like in this, like in this telling of it, or just like this, you know, examination of the, the, the industry, you just realize that the USDA is doing some of the most vile shit, like in terms of disenfranchising these farmers or putting them essentially into like a debt trap to dispossess their land. And I know like it, like you'll never find a document that says this is our mandate as the USDA, but when you look at how the USDA was interacting with black farmers that were looking for loans and things like that, it's just wild how so many of the people that you spoke to were sort of saying like, the second I took that loan was basically the end. Like when I began to rely on the USDA and the, just the hoops and things that people have to jump through just for the simplest things is really like mind blowing. Like, can you kind of just paint a picture for people of sort of how the U.S. like how this game is set up with the USDA of how like because I think normal people would be like, oh, yeah, what's the problem? You get your loan. If you have an off year, you tell them they understand and then maybe they work with you to make something happen. But that really wasn't the case for black farmers really ever. Yeah. So like in the past, USDA had a system where county committees who are like local farmers would have a lot of influence deciding who is credit worthy and so, you know, they could decide like that black, black, black farmer, for example, we don't want to give him a loan. Or one of the experts we talked to says how the county committee person could say, well, I have my eye on that piece of property that they have. And I know if this loan is delayed or denied, that it's only a matter of time before that piece of property will be you know, out in the market. Right. So so that was, you know, one way that affected uh, black farmers. Another is loan officers have a lot of discretion in deciding who gets loans and who doesn't and how supportive they can be when that farmer is in trouble. And there are farmers, older farmers, um, and then younger farmers like me, who tells us his story of how he felt he didn't get the flexibility that he needed from his loan officer. Right. It's like, do you think, you know, like in looking at it too, because, you know, Nate, the one of the farmers that you speak with, talks about how when he's asking for his loan to be restructured or something, their solution is basically like, why don't you just sell your land then? And, or like sell your cattle. And they're like, but that's how I make my living. So if I do that, uh, that renders me like inert from a business standpoint. And like with that, like knowing that, that you had these sort of credit bureaus of like local, like landed farmers who are the ones determining who are like kind of behind the scenes, or at least had a hand, like a seat at the table to determine who got loans. It feels like that sort of, I got my eye on that property sort of energy has just kind of persisted throughout like the, the, like the decades following it. I mean, I think we know for sure through what mid nineties, because that's what Pickford was based on. Like we, we know that the trickier question is to what extent is this happening now? Like to what extent is, has it continued and people like me, obviously, through his experience, feel like it has, you know, other folks would argue that USDA has done a number of things to try to rectify this, but well, I guess the, the, we're still trying to figure it out. Right. Can you talk about, you, you did mention that there's racial violence that played a role in this over the course of like the transition from the, from 1920 to the late nineties. Can you just talk about what, what that was, what that looked like? Because I, I think that's probably helpful when then co coming into this and being like, and then this is a world that was like self-policing <laughs> where, where like the, the USDA just gets to use their own judgment to make financial decisions. But what, what, was, what was happening at that, at that time? Yeah, I mean, outside of the Deep South, I guess some would consider Oklahoma still part of that, but Oklahoma has like one of the highest documented um, things outside of the Deep South, traditional Deep South. And, you know, there are stories, Oklahoma elsewhere, folks kind of abandoning their property because of fear of racial violence from white farmers, white landowners. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of outside of USDA, but that's something that's a uh, function to dispossess Black farmers as well. Yeah. 
USDA, I mainly knew prior to this for like grading my eggs and meat. It was <laughs> right. like kind of my, my experience with the USDA, but truly like they've set up this Kafka esque, like just system. Like there, there's one scene where they discover like that this USDA civil rights agency that they've been sending their complaints to the office just like doesn't exist. Their letters have been just like piling up in an office somewhere. And when it comes time to like actually look at their complaints and what the USDA was doing, the court is just like, we can't use those letters as evidence because they never opened. Like basically the logic is like they never opened them. So what are they supposed to do? But yeah, it's like the judicial historical equivalent of like plugging your ears and saying, la, 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 I can't, I can't hear you. So like it, do, it doesn't count. But yeah, it's just a whole different level of like illogic and injustice that I don't know. It, like it, it was crazy to hear about. Yeah. Yeah. During um, with the Reagan administration, that's when the Civil Rights Office was like pretty much closed. So you had farmers sending in their discrimination complaints and they weren't going anywhere, right? Like nobody was was reading them. They were, were just kind of piling up in a room <laughs> that um and, and nobody was monitoring them. So that was one of the things that really fed into the Pickford suit that even when farmers filed complaints of discrimination, there they weren't being addressed. There was there was no one to address them. Right. And it's again like it feels like the USDA is just like another example of many other agencies or institutions that like after decades of discriminatory behavior they'll be like oh yeah it turns out we may have been doing some bad stuff <laughs> and then it just kind of feels like it sort of peters out there uh because it felt like especially when discussing uh the pickford for verse glickman right is the case <laughs> that there was a moment for this to potentially create some kind of sea change, but it it just it just didn't. And a lot of that, I'm sure too, like as you like as the like reporting shows, like in the in the show, is that a lot of it too is also like by design by like offering these farmers like when the like in a settlement that it was just kind of like pick your poison here, and neither are actually going to fully address all of the injustices that you had to suffer. Yeah. So there, there was a settlement agreement. And so this case never went to trial. So farmers never had the opportunity to really like tell their case in court, but they decided on a settlement that didn't actually require USDA to come out and say, you know, we did wrong. We're going to change our ways. We're going to fire folks who were involved in this. Like none of that had to happen. And the settlement offered two tracks for folks to follow. One of those tracks, basically they had to show um, some level of paperwork. They had to prove some level of discrimination and they would get $50,000. But they also had to show like that there was a white farmer in a similarly situated position, that they suffered an economic loss. Uh, that was supposedly the easy track. Right. And then there was track B and that one, they had to gather more paperwork they had to present it at like a mini trial. They had to show that their damages were greater than $50,000. And then they had to convince an arbitrator of all that. And they could potentially get, you know, a, a substantial amount of money. The farmer that we talked to, Eddie, says that the lawyers really encouraged the farmers to go with track A and not right. track B. And part of that was because track A offered the possibility of debt forgiveness if they could find discrimination attached to the the loan in question. So he argues that's why a bunch of us went with track A, something like, I think like 2% or less than 2% went with track B. Wow. And in the end, a lot of folks didn't end up, who went with track A didn't end up getting that loan forgiveness. Mm. It's That's what's like really harrowing, especially that when you talk about Eddie and, you know, the the never ending fight with the USDA of how it's always him or the, the farmers trying to prove that they're worthy of these loans, that they're being left out all the while that the USDA uses things uh, like offsets, which is like this practice to say like, 
well, if you can't pay some of this debt that you have, we'll just take this out of your $50,000 settlement from the USDA. Mm. Like the, the, it, it just feels like never ending. And like the, the, the frustration that comes out in some of these, these people's voices, it's really, really like, it's heartbreaking because at the end of the day, they're trying to do something as simple as just like grow things on the land and have a very simple life. They're not saying like, I'm trying to live outside of my means or do something extravagant. It's like, I like to, I like to farm and we're not given this opportunity. And if, and every other turn, it feels like they have to constantly fight just to not have their 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 finances whittled away at to the point that they are so destitute that the only option is to give up everything and give up land and they all talk about how important like the land is like it's sometimes it's not even about the money it's the fact that for especially for uh for black americans that owning that piece of land is such a vital part of your longevity of you being able to have something to give to your 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 descendants and things like that and that must have been so difficult to like, I mean, did you have an, I, I'm sure you had a sense of how like backwards this whole thing was, but like, did, did, did it just kind of make you more angry or what was that like? Because I like listening to it, I wanted to like scream half the time. Um, I wouldn't say it make, made me angry necessarily. I think sometimes when you're like, you're so seeped in it, it's sure. like you lose a little bit of that. But I, I think I mean, folks like Eddie are so passionate about yeah. this cause. And I think farmers in general, regardless of race, are really attached to the land. I mean, it's right. a multi-generational life, right? They're, they're not just thinking about themselves. They're thinking about who's coming up after them because they want the name to be carried on, you know, well after them. And I think the stakes are obviously so much higher for Black farmers given everything that folks went through to just to hold on to that land with the the violence and with the economic issues that they faced a hundred years ago to have it now is um like it's it's huge so yeah it's it, i mean it is it is a sad story when we think about just everything that's involved let's uh, take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about just where where you see things heading and where where you kind of leave things at the end of the show. Win the battle of your musty, damp basement with an easy breathe ventilation system. Take charge of your indoor air. It's easy with basement ventilation to remove musty odors, pollutants, allergens, and airborne particles by 85%. An easy breathe ventilation system creates air exchanges for cleaner, fresher, healthy indoor air. And right now, get $250 off your own easy breathe ventilation system. Call 866-822-7328 or visit takechargeofyourair.com today. High Five Casino. High Five Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at HighFiveCasino.com. The hottest games right from Vegas and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details at HighTheNumberFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino. You can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi on a network that covers more roads than any other carrier. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls. Finish up that presentation or answer last-minute emails. Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to see if you're eligible for a free trial today. Based on independent third-party data, always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. And we're back. And yeah, so I don't know. You you mentioned that like there there's this potential settlement and Nate seems hopeful and then politically the USDA like there's this shift where they feel like they still need to center white farmers. Like the story still needs to be about white farmers for the government to deliver the aid and this is under under biden right right like so yeah. yeah can you talk about that 
Yeah. So the, the Pickford settlement, there were actually two. There was a second one for folks who didn't make it to the first. So the you know first settlement was like 1999. The next one, I think, was around 2010. And there's still this looming issue of the debt. A lot of Pickford claimants that I've spoken to, at least, they, they you know, they talk about that how, like Eddie, talk about how this debt has really affected them moving forward or in their credit score because they didn't get the loan forgiveness that they were expecting in Pickford. And a lot of the advocacy of those folks led to the Justice for Black Farmers Act, which was introduced by Senator Brooker and others that had this provision to like try to relieve those some of those farm loan debts of the Pickford claimants. And then that led to what we saw in the Biden administration of trying to relieve the debts of all farmers of color, not just Black farmers. Mm-hmm. And that was in the American Rescue Plan Act. But there were lots of challenges from white farmers with support from conservative individuals and groups like Stephen Miller from the Trump administration. And, you know, they argued this program is discriminatory against racially discriminatory against us white farmers. A federal judge ended up putting um, like a, a blocking the program. Congress had to change course. And in the Inflation Reduction Act that passed last year, the American Rescue Plan program was rescinded. There's a couple new programs included. One is for anyone that can show discrimination in farm loan programs, you can get some money for that. And the other is basically like a form of debt relief for economically distressed borrowers, folks who they, they define as economically distressed. Is there any, I mean, like, cause it's funny, like when the episode where I'm hearing about like the Pickford case i'm like okay maybe there's some momentum going here like maybe this can like this can be built upon but does it seem like there's any sort of actual progress being made in terms of like really addressing this because like to your point right and i think like i we kind of glossed over this but so many of the farmers they begin their farming by receiving a loan to even start this like this business to, to like get the land and things like that so you're already on the hook with them from the beginning and when and then you add all of the hoops that have to jump through that are made essentially bringing people to like a very desperate point is like you know like with even that what was the one report that came out of the usda where they're like oh yeah this this has been kind of bad it was like the one of the internal reports yeah is there like what is there anything that is actually beginning to alter that? Or is does this feel sort of like, how, how are the farmers looking at it? Do they feel there's progress? Or even from your perspective from the outside, is there any progress being made on actually addressing this? Um, I mean, from my reporting, I would argue that there is some progress being made. I mean, the Biden administration did try to do a race-based program and it didn't work. It's not, I mean, the court, the the federal judge blocked it, so it didn't work. Right. And then they changed course and did something that is colorblind, but does essentially appear to reach a good number of Black farmers. You know, it's it's reaching the monies are reaching folks who are behind on their loan payments, and then it's paying those some of those you know back loan payments, and then the next installment. Black farmers are highly delinquent in their USDA loans. So we know that it is reaching those folks, but it's also reaching a good number of of white farmers too, right? Mm -hmm. So like, I mean, yes, these these things are helpful, but there is an argument to be made that because of all this history of discrimination and and how multi-generational farming is and the debts of my grandfather I might be carrying today, that there there should be some race-based remedy instead. Right. And again, it's like, it's, Every time there's any talk of restitution, reparations and things like that, the argument is always like, but but what about us? And it's like, well, if you do the math, like, you know, some economists have, there is $16 trillion of wealth stolen from black Americans over the centuries. So like in that sense, like the things that are being asked for to try and bring balance to all of this is like such a drop in the bucket. Yeah. But then you have to have like white supremacy rear its head every time and have people say like, well, this is actually discriminating against all the white people that actually benefited from those policies to begin with. And off we go to, I feel like this sort of very circular topic where like, we're at what point is it going to, yeah. to be, is, is the progress going to like actually break through? Because I feel like that's something that 
you know, many generations of people, not just farmers, look at and think of all the ways their lives could have been different were it not for redlining or were it not for the USDA and things like that. Yeah. Dana Peterson is the economist in question. She said the to- the toll of racism against Black Americans, economic racism against Black Americans at $16 trillion over just the past two decades. Like, that's just in two decades. Right. And, staggering, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like, at the end, uh, how how like what is the outlook for for people like nate at the georgia line ranch like here like it's just it's really heartening to hear that just despite the hardships how still dedicated they are to wanting to realize their dream of being like full like just doing full-time agriculture are like for him is there like a sense of relief because i hope like because you like do such a good job of connecting us to these people and their stories like in the end like when you told me like eddie passed i'm like eddie away like that's and it, and he had such a difficult life i really want to encourage everybody listening you have to listen to this series because like we're just giving you a very broad outlook on it the actual humanity of it at that level the, the human level is is really like eye-opening and inspirational but is that like are people like nate feeling like is does he feel like he's turning a corner or does it still feel like this thing of like the never-ending fight with the usda um i don't I don't think Nate feels like he's turning a corner necessarily. And I think it's too soon to tell how like helpful some of these more recent changes are going to be. But we also, farmers are also operating in like a high inflation environment. The cost of everything has gone up. A lot of the system hasn't changed, right? Like the subsidies and helpful benefits are still going to the largest farmers there still aren't a whole lot of Black farmers receiving the support that they need from USDA, even though they are trying to fix that. So I I mean, Nate is just kind of a the type of person that's always going to find a way, right? Mm-hmm. Like, regardless of what the circumstances are, he feels so strongly about leaving the land and leaving the business to his kids. And I would argue his kids are, um, you know, like they're pretty savvy kids, right? Like one of them studying... Yeah engineering the others studying agribusiness and is really passionate about finance and just and and also like sharing financial literacy you know encouraging others to become financially literate and sharing his knowledge with others to help his community so i think like they're just starting in a better place and and maybe that is like that's the hope that we can find in it that they will they'll have a better chance right and i guess what what do you think like i guess for people who are like myself or just in general who are learning about the complexities and the injustices that are like, what, what are the kinds of things we should keep in mind aside from the, the ongoing injustices that are happening? But in terms of like, what, what do you think the people that are on the ground want the rest of America to really understand, to try and help contribute to something that's a little bit more equitable? I mean, I think it's always important to have like just a deeper knowledge of what we are hearing and reading about today. Mm-hmm. And it's, like it, it's, I guess it requires a bit of work, but I mean, there's some great resources out there with like the environmental working group has like a list of all these documents that are really helpful to understanding the plight of black farmers and their relationship with USDA. There's a wonderful book by Pete Daniel called Dispossession that talks about this history as well. And I mean, when you read like the headlines, it's just important to understand the background and how, um, Black farmers and and some other farmers of color have not gotten everything, all the support that they need. So I guess when, in general, when these colorblind arguments are coming up, which is obviously very common and popular right now, just to have this awareness of the of the past. Yeah, you you mentioned that it seems like this colorblind argument of like how to interpret or how to execute on the rural, you know, help. And by the way, just to Farmers get some of the most help, like in the in the world. This is like no farm succeeds without a ton of government help and subsidies. Like that, that's just the baseline for anything. So, just I I felt like that was helpful information to know he- heading into the overall story. But yeah, at one at one point you kind of mentioned that it seems like they're taking their lead from the affirmative action case and the the modern kind of 
orthodoxy in the mainstream government where it's like, well, we're just colorblind and we'll help anyone in need, not just because we now, starting now, don't see race. <laughs> right. You know, even though. And if you ask for documents, been, like yeah. that was another really frustrating thing. Like you were filing FOIA requests to actually be able to analyze how black farmers were specifically affected by these policies. And it just seemed like even before you even got an answer, like a lot of the people you were talking to that were in the community were like, you're not going to give you anything. It's a black box that will just those truths are not going to be revealed. Have you have any of those? Has there been any like progress on any of those requests? Or is this truly just one of those things where it's like, yeah, sorry, we can give you this very like a fraction of what you're asking for. But that's it. Not yet. I mean, we did file a lawsuit about it and we're still, you know, waiting and going through that process. Yeah. With I mean, there have been other FOIA requests that I filed that I've gotten a response on, but not with that that particular request that we're we talk about, which just makes it really difficult to understand the extent black farmers have been getting, you know, specific loans or the extent that they um any amount of those loans just you know, really how they're operating in this larger environment. Right. Because then when you asked for like at a county level or lower, like, so you can actually begin to group the data and see, oh, look at these, like these farmers are here and experiencing this kind of trial and tribulation. And you would be able to sort of like put that against what you're seeing like white farms do. But that information has been completely just withheld. Yeah. Well, because of privacy law, they don't, and, and, you know, they're, it's rural spaces. They're so few, like people of color in some of these counties, they don't want to, they don't want anyone to be able to look at the data and know who that could be. Well, like extrapolate from that, right. Got it. Yeah. So that would be USDA's argument that, you know, they don't want to disclose anything that they're not supposed to disclose. Of course. Yeah. They're so concerned. They're so concerned. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, well, Avril Simpson, it's been such a pleasure having you on the Daily Zeitgeist. Where can people find the show, first of all, and then find you, follow you, and read more from you? Yeah, thank you. So you can learn more about our project at publicintegrity.org. You can follow me on Twitter at April Leticia. Amazing. I like thank you for calling it Twitter, if not Twitter, <laughs> or, or formally X, or we call it Twitter formally X around here. Yeah. So yeah, Twitter, for sure. Is there a work of media that you've been enjoying? I oh, Davy Quit thing again. I don't. I don't have time. Um, <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> I get that. I get that uh, looking at my child sleep. <laughs> um, but I'm I'm going to New Orleans soon, and I I saw this list recently of like best New Orleans restaurants. So I'm looking okay. forward to seeing what I can hit. Oh yeah, nice. Sounds about right. Sounds about right. Miles, where can people find you? Is there a work of media you've been enjoying? Uh, find me Twitter, formerly X, uh, <laughs> and Instagram, other at-based platforms, Miles of Gray. Uh, if you like basketball, you can check out our basketball podcast, Miles and Jack got Mad Boosties. If you like 90 Day Fiance, check out my 90 Day Fiance podcast, 420 Day Fiance. That's how I offset the terrible things that we have to deal with when we talk about our news and our reality every day. So join me there. Uh, a work of media. Like I just started watching the goosebumps show that was like on the Hulu as a geri- one? No, as they, they rebooted it. So oh, as I? a geriatric millennial, I see the goosebumps font and I, I have a reaction because I was like my, one of my favorite book series and it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I'm only like a two episodes in, but it's, it's, they're, they're doing something freaky with it At, to a point where i'm like is this for kids and it's like it's not really it's like young adults but goosebumps on this spooky day amazing you can find me on twitter at jack underscore o'brien tweet i've been enjoying jackson at placed underscore on tweeted there should be there should only be one fruit per color if i see a yellow fruit i shouldn't have to second guess whether it's not a lemon <laughs> that's my it level is. of agricultural thinking <laughs> yeah that's a squash. That's a lemon. That's a lemon, dude. Come on. <laughs> Look how yellow it is. Crack that thing open. And Ben R- Rosen, at Ben underscore Rosen, tweeted, forget it, Jake. It's giving Chinatown. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Zeitgeist. We're at The Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have a Facebook fan page and a website, dailyzeitgeist.com, where we post our episodes and our footnotes. Footnotes. We link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode, as well as a song that we think you might enjoy. 
Miles, what song on this Halloween, all Hallow's Eve, do you think oh, people wow. might enjoy? I didn't even think of trying to think of something spooky. Just something nice to listen to, because not everybody wants to be spooky. Uh, this track is called Andromeda by Ethel, E-T-H-E-L. And it's a really dope track. She's, uh, I like I like whispery vocals over like a good backbeat. And that's exactly what this provides. So this is Andromeda by Ethel. Whispers are cre- are spooky. The Andromeda strain yeah. is a scary book. My dad so. made tried to make me watch that movie as a kid. It yeah. was like one of those old people movies. He's like, you're going to yeah. like this. This one's going like, to blow your hair back, son. I was like, this is going to make me fall asleep and question <laughs> whether or not there were actual good movies back then. That's right. <laughs> well, The Daily Zeitgeist is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. That's going to mm-hmm. do it for us this morning. Back this afternoon to tell you what is trending. We'll talk to y'all then. Bye. Bye. Imagine getting in a hot, stuffy car in the summer. You know how it cools off much faster when you roll down the windows first to get the hot air out? Well, that's exactly how an Easy Breathe basement ventilation system works. Removing all the musty, damp, stagnant air and replacing it with fresher, cleaner, drier air. Take charge of your air with Easy Breathe ventilation and get $250 off today. Ask about DIY kits. Visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com or call 866-822-7328. High Five Casino Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at HighFiveCasino.com. The hottest games right from Vegas and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details at HighTheNumberFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino. Diamonds Direct has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com.